0: good day and welcome to episode 44 of the Aaron Wayne podcast mm. yeah I'm starting to record the intro music while I'm recording the podcast I feel like I'm gonna just ditch doing intros it doesn't it doesn't make sense Maybe it does, I don't know, if I have a guest, it makes sense to do an intro, but if I'm just doing a solo, a solo cast, might as well just jump in, do it man, yes, about to go climbing, I'm teaching a yoga class at the Crimpers Climbing Gym in Christiansburg now and uh, the class is building, people are cool and it just makes so much sense for climbing and yoga to go together, but I feel like Yogis don't climb, and climbers don't yogi, and it's just like they need to be doing that more, but yeah, uh, check it out. It's, uh, if, if you're local, um, which most of you guys aren't, um, 6 p.m. on Thursdays, and I'm going to go do some climbing beforehand. That's not what I wanted to talk about today. I've been, uh, you know, my wife said to me, uh, she said to me many times in the past, like, man, why are you listening, because we'll go on long drives, or you know, she'll see what I'm listening to on YouTube while I'm doing the dishes or whatever. And she's like, Why are you listening to all this like political stuff? Does this, does this not agitate you? Because uh, certain people, including some good friends of mine, they get kind of agitated by thinking about, you know, politics and people arguing and these sorts of things. I actually enjoy it because um, for whatever reason, my disposition is that I want to argue. Oftentimes I find myself finding the opposite position of the person that I'm talking to just as like an exercise in figuring out what i think and uh, that's one of the benefits of the podcast. So my wife sa- has said to me many times like why are you why are you into this stuff? And i this week realized why i'm listening to all of these podcasts and you know going to the dialogue on race and going to these you know having conversations with the people i've had on the podcast. Um, the thing that i have realized this week is that as a public school teacher If I'm not informed on these things, these things come to my doorstep. And it's really obvious to me in the last week um, that if had I not been kind of tuned in to the the zeitgeist and how things have just gotten so out of whack with people thinking clearly that, uh, you know, they're going hyper directional in their left and right thinking that. You know, if I had, had I not been privy to that, I wouldn't have been able to see like how those uh, trajectories have gone off. Like I mean, I want to talk about some things that have been happening at school, but I definitely want to honor the fact that, you know, first of all, things with students are hundred percent private, like they're minors, you know what I mean. And then uh, we had a faculty meeting uh recently that was uh de- the one of the things that came down came from the school board so I'll talk more about the school board because that is public record uh but the faculty meeting stuff we had was like that's you know people in in my school community um thinking their thoughts and having their opinions and sharing their views um but I will say what I said publicly at the faculty meeting because uh I'll, sh- I'll sh- actually share that in a second cuz the thing that brought this up to my mind And one of the reasons i wanted to jump in for a quick podcast before i go climbing is the school board for uh my district my school district is a small um rural community uh with a college town rural community combination and the school decided school board decided that having uh any sort of flag that could be interpreted as political within the classroom should be stricken and you know, I had things in my room that were then interpreted as, um, being political. Um, I'll just, I'll just share. I had had a pride flag in my room. Um, and I'll tell you why I had it there. I had it there, not because I'm gay or part of that community, but I had that there to signify to being a teenager is hard enough. Right. But if you, um, are grappling with uh, a non-typical experience of coming into sexual maturity and you don't feel supported, that can be really challenging, right? You know, you hear all these stories about, you know, and when I was in school, it's like, you know, I didn't really know any kids that were openly gay. And I think that might have had a lot to do with the climate at the time. And now I put that flag up as a signifier, like, hey, if this is your experience, like, I don't really, don't really, it's not going to, I'm not going to be in a position to say, don't be who you are. Um, I'm actually in the process right now of intentionally trying to diversify my understanding of a lot of these issues that are popping up in the political world, which has turned, uh, that is sort of bled its way into the educational world, these politic uh, political views. And so I'm intentionally trying to read, learn and listen from the individuals who would have a problem with me having a pride flag in my room, and I think that's a really useful tool to anybody listening that might be an educator, because I know of a handful of educators that listen to the podcast. Like, what is it that? Why do these people have an issue with it? And uh, I'm trying to hear that, um, and then grapple with where I land on it. it. Doesn't really matter where I land on it because the school board made the decision that I can't have a pride flag in my room because it's associated with political affiliation which i didn't you know i find myself in situations oftentimes where people have no idea what it is i think politically and i i kind of like that because it gives me freedom to span and have independent thoughts but therefore i didn't have the pride flag up for anything to do with politics other than the the, the only th- the only reason the pride flag was up is to signify to students that if they're gay this is a place where I'm not going to be critical of your gayness. So nonetheless, I took it down and the faculty meeting, we had uh, a good conversation about that. And uh, I'm not going to share what anybody said because that's a a closed door meeting, but I don't know. Maybe that's an open door meeting. It should be. It's, I think, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Nonetheless, I'll respect the rights of the individuals there. Um, though citizenry probably has a right to hear what we say in those faculty meetings. So I don't know, maybe it's an open door meeting, maybe it's not, but just out of respect for the people sharing their opinions, I won't share it, but I will share what I said, which is at the end of the conversation uh, we were wrapping it up. And I said, um, I spoke to the principal in the group and I said, look, this is, I think the people that were uh, formerly having uh, pride flags in their room had no intention of signifying any political affiliation. I think that was what I just described, which is, this is to signify to gay kids that, you're, I'm not going to be critical of your gayness. And since that wasn't part of our political affiliation, I'm curious if there's a way that we could communicate with the, uh, community that seems to have, um, you know, reached out to the school board, said, this is an issue. What does it look like to bring teachers and, uh, the community together so that we can communicate with one another? Because there's so much going on in the news right now where, you know, parents are, I just listened to some conservative uh, YouTube media recently. Um, not like super wild, fringy stuff, but um, you know, I, Ben Shapiro. I'll just tell you, as Ben Shapiro. I was listening to some Ben Shapiro stuff, and um, he was citing some things that have been happening in my home state of Virginia of people pushing against at school board meetings, critical race theory, as well as um, uh, accommodations for the LGBTQ plus community, and. Again, not going back to you know the last solo podcast I did. I'm I'm not going to really try to offer too much of my thoughts on that. But what I think is that the communities seem to be using education as the battleground for them to win their political argument because they people feel so disenfranchised by the the um, macro politics of Senate something like 90 some percent of senators and house representatives uh there's terrible approval ratings like look these stats up but here's the rough numbers um at least my intuitive the numbers it's like they have 30 40 approval rating but the incumbent wins 90 some percent of the time which means that people are dissatisfied with the way the congress runs but they don't do anything about it and um every political every presidential election in my live at uh, in my experience of living the it's basically split. It's like 50, 50, you know, 51 to 48% or something like that, regardless of the political of the presidential election. And so I think people are completely disenfranchised with the macro level of federal representation, but where they do have representation in their communities uh, more uh, closely is in school boards, school board members, or I'm going to vote on them in a couple of weeks in November. I'm going to vote for school board members. And I think that a lot of that got tuned in when, um, you know, the kids went home because of the virus. And now people are watching school board meetings more frequently. And then now they're more tuned in to like, wait, what are they actually, what are, what are they advocating for? And I think that a lot of the um, liberal and conservative media media are telling the communities like, Hey, this is what needs to be taught or, Hey, this should never be taught. And that's where the macro politics of this country is going to start to play out. And I'm already starting to see it with how, um, I've been told to take down a, uh, pride flag. I hear the argument. I've been hearing the argument and I, and I think that they have the people that wanted me to take it down have, um, they have an argument and their argument is, um, you know, statistically speaking, uh, gay students represent a small minority of students, which is the whole point of putting up the flag is to signify to even because they are a small group of students to signify to them that they are accepted in my classroom. But equally there is a small number of uh, very conservative people who feel as if by putting that up, they are um, it's sort of going against their beliefs and I hear I hear that argument too. So it's like this it's this um, it's this quagmire that there really isn't uh, an answer to because no matter what you do, put it up, take it down, whatever it is, somebody's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and ideally, teachers like me and others would communicate both to the kids who have you know conservative beliefs about what um, sexuality and uh, marriage and you know communal. You know, the way you operate in, you know, in a relationship, you know, those kids, I, I, don't, I don't need to, like, completely tear them down as people or give them an affront in their face. And then the kids that have, you know, that are in the LGBTQ plus community, like, I'd like to support them in some way. So it's like it's it's this real, like, sticky. It's a sticky wicket, man. And I'm not quite sure what to do about it other than try to get the community to talk to one another because they, you know, people are seeing, they're seeing these YouTube clips on, on Facebook and they're hearing, um, they're hearing pundits on, uh, uh, the corporate news structure and it's, it's forming their, it's helping them to form their opinions. And then they're taking it to the grassroots level, which is what we advocate for in a thriving democracy is for people to think Globally, but act locally and in the act of acting locally. People are starting to affect the way that teachers Are operating for example, I had an incident and again, you know, students have their privacy and so I'm not going to be too specific here but I had um a confrontation between two students that led to a situation where no matter what I did and I would I would have easily gotten a call from a parent. So I either say something because I thought something was happening that was wrong or I don't say something. And the kid who was wronged ends up, you know, feeling like I'm not, I don't have his back. And so it's like the political has made its way into the classroom and I don't know what to do about it. Follow up from my previous uh, podcast, do educators have free speech? Um, We don't in the classroom. As it should be, which I think I articulated clearly. But through that school board meeting, I learned that, um, you know, they they uh, took some passages from the uh, contract in my district and I don't have free speech in the classroom. And I don't think I should because I am a government employee and I cannot show partisan um, ideology. Uh, to my students who are a captive audience, they ha- by law, they have to be in my classroom. And if they don't, their parents go to jail because of truancy, or I think they go to jail, but they definitely get in trouble. So yeah, I, I should not be able to expouse political beliefs in the classroom. I agree. The clarification that I was hoping for is, do I have the free speech to have a podcast and share my political opinions? Um, and I'm pretty sure I do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do. But I think uh, that remains to be seen. Um, hasn't been challenged yet uh, in my my world. but um, hopefully it works out. But you know this 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 conversation, I think that one of the things that I noticed um, is that this removal of the pride flag. I just want to communicate with the community. I want to talk to the people who had a gripe with it. And like, I want to actually hear what it is that their argument is because the, the argument that I gave for their side is it's facsimile. It's like, I think obviously, like an approximation of what I think they think. And so I actually want to create conversation with community members and educators so that we can find ourselves in a space of healing instead of a place of censoring one another, because I don't think that that is necessarily the right choice because it to to me, the pride flag is apolitical. It doesn't feel like a political stance that I'm making. No more than having a poster of Dr. King in my room is political. I have a, I have a poster of Dr. King. I have a poster of Mahatma Gandhi. I have uh, a poster of Mark Twain. Said some controversial things. Um, the thing you're probably thinking of is uh, the language that he used in uh, some of his books, but you know, he's quoted. He's said some controversial things. Um, so, at what point does do those characters come off my wall? Because, and I I know somebody who has um, uh, a poster of Malcolm X. You know, like, is that that he, highly political character? Dr. King, highly political character. Mahatma Gandhi, highly political character. Uh, Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau. Uh, he's a, one of the most important American writers in history highly political so what at what point does the community demand that we stop articulating the message of these individuals and the conversation from the school board is if it ties into the curriculum it's good and if it ties into the curriculum make sure that you're offering um, opposing viewpoints But, you know, the thing about being a public school teacher is that, you know, most of your time is curriculum, but you are also dealing with humans and you're working with people. And as a teacher, yes, you're educating, but you're also trying to uh, create a sense of life skills in in young people. And that's one of the things that I find most uh, valuable about being a teacher is, you know, I have these kids that come into my room, they hate to read, they hate to write, they leave my room, and a majority of those kids have transformed to understand that, reading and writing is what allows them to live a fulfilled life clear articulation and the capacity to understand what's being said by others is what it means to live a fulfilled life where you can take action to change the world for the better or to preserve what has value and so we have student skills life skills these different things that are not part of the curriculum but you know they're they're things that are taught and we, we just have to figure out as a community where that line is. Like, what is it? I want to people that are critical. First of all, I'm a public school teacher and they talk about how they're teaching critical race theory in the classroom. I have heard nothing about critical race theory. Uh, I've heard people say that we should have um, a broader range of uh, diversity in our um, uh, literature and historical figures that we study. And that's just seems logical to me because I, um, you know, the great writers of American history, on average, have been white men. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we disregard intentionally Frederick Douglass or Kate Chopin or Ralph Ellison or any of these uh, non-white men characters. So I, I definitely see the purpose of uh, having an initiative to to show windows and mirrors, which is what I teach my kids. So windows and mirrors is an idea that i can give a piece of literature a piece of art piece of poetry whatever it is and uh a mirror would be a piece of creation that allows me to see myself reflected the experiences of myself the uh struggles that i've experienced a mirror allows me to see those like as someone who grow up grew up with like a mildly tumultuous childhood um having uh, stretches of, of poverty and the struggle with that, like I can see characters, I can see authors, I can see storylines that tell my story so that I can understand my story more deeply. So that's an example of a mirror. And then Windows um, is like, I I did not grow up with Langston Hughes's experience of coming of age in, in Harlem as a young black man in the early 20th century. That wasn't my experience, but I can read Langston Hughes' and I can have a window into his world. And by looking through that window to see his experience, I can find the commonality between the human experience. And so, yes, I advocate that we are broadening our scope of windows and mirrors. I want my kids to be able to see themselves in literature and I want my kids to see others in literature. That's the point of literature. (laughs) But other than that, critical is that is that part of critical race theory no one's clarified that for me um no one talks about this in the public school system but this is the thing that we're being told by everyone that we're teaching people and so what i want to do is i just want to sit down and have a conversation with people who think that we are progressive indoctrination camps because i don't think that's the case um I think that, yeah, there are some people who got into education because they're activists, but then there are a lot of people, if not the majority of people, who got into public education because they care about the future of young people. And they, want, they understand that by helping young people to feel fulfilled and to give them life skills and to teach them how to articulate themselves and to understand what's going on in the world, be it through math, science, history, or literature, we can make the world a better place through educating the youth. And I think that's a majority of teachers yes will there be activist teachers yeah there 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 are some uh they're out there are there are they mostly progressive yeah that's what my experience is but does that mean that the entire school system is being dismantled and turned into um you know a progressive madrasa i I don't think that's the case and so i want to be able to communicate with these I want to be able to communicate with the community. And I think the challenge with that is something I learned from the school board meeting, which is if I'm speaking to the community as a representative of my school, that is not free speech. But if I'm speaking as just a human in the world, there's a distinction there and I I can speak more freely. Um, And so I don't know if the toolkit that needs to be employed is, you know, having whatever parents are willing to come to the auditorium at the school where we're on school grounds, we're all wearing, you know, our, our badges for the schools we represent and the parents have name tags to show where their students go to school. I don't know if that's necessarily the right path because then it could turn easily into uh, a place where, the teachers are sort of hamstrung and they can't really offer what it is that they truly think about these things. But then also I think that in an official, in an official manner, we should be communicating with, with parents like you're hearing this in the news. This is what we're doing. You're hearing in the news sources that you follow that we're teaching critical race theory, which has been interpreted by some to be an idea of looking at everything through a racial lens I think that would be a fair assumption of what people have characterized it as. And honestly, I don't even, under, I, I learned about it in college. I don't really thoroughly understand critical race theory. I think if I were to define it, I would say critical race theory is the understanding that race has played a role in the advantages and disadvantages of individuals throughout American history. doesn't that seem true though. And I'm not necessarily saying that we need to be teaching that to children because there might be negative effects for, um, for all the kids. I could see scenarios where it could be negative for um, a young white kid to feel as if the things that they've achieved have only been because they're white. And I could see um, a student of color also seeing that the reason that they're not achieving is because people have prejudice towards them. When in reality it might have something to do with the, like are they performing at school? Or are they working at school? And so I, I, and I'm, I don't draw that dichotomy to draw to say like oh, the white kid's doing well and he thinks it's fake because he's white and the black kid's not doing well or the kid student of color isn't doing well because they just don't do well. That's not at all the dichotomy that I'm drawing. What I'm saying is these are positive uh, possible negative outcomes unintended by in incorporating the idea of critical race theory into the curriculum. And so I hear, both sides of the argument and that's the thing that's why we have to communicate with the community clearly what it is that we're trying to teach children and I don't know how to do that like is it so I have conversations in my classroom Socratic seminars where you know we're reading Lord of the Flies right now and I'm going to ask them a Socratic seminar question of using this book in your life experience are people born with a um instinct for peace and cooperation or for uh dominance and um you know taking control through force that's a conversation in literature that's worth having and lord of the flies is one of the best ones for that so what i'm gonna do throw the question out and then i'm gonna step back and i'm gonna watch them discuss and i'm gonna give them some guideposts of how to have a proper discussion by asking clarifying questions making sure that you're fairly characterizing someone else's argument um avoiding to avoiding uh, assuming that you understand what someone thinks because they think one thing and i think i think that like both teachers and community members would benefit from that style of of discourse so does it look like you know renting out a moose lodge and and having that conversation i don't know but i know that we need to find a way to heal the community so we don't have an adversarial view towards us as eat as teachers you know the thing is is like we we, i think i said this in the last podcast we went through the beginning of the pandemic and the kids went home and the parents were trying to teach them the things that we were sending them home which admittedly were not high quality educational materials because we didn't have the infrastructure set up for um Live broadcasting classes. We just didn't have the infrastructure. And it was almost the end of the year, and everybody was scrambling. We didn't know if we were going to be out for two weeks. The whole world was in flux. So we did our best, and the parents did their best. And, you know, I got so many emails from parents saying, I really value what you're doing. This is challenging trying to get my kid to sit down and read a book. Um, They have all these distractions here. And thank you. Like, I got a lot of thank yous last year. But then we had a year of hybrid learning, and um, you know that sentiment started to dwindle. And now we're in a position where everything is so politicized, and everybody really thinks they know what they're talking about, and they have no space for uncertainty or curiosity. And the teachers are now the problem, instead of being seen as public servants who sacrifice immense amount of time and emotional not emotional stability that's not what i'm saying emotional like the 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 bank account of emotional experience that i give to students is it's just continually i'm just continually like hearing stories about students that have had negative experiences Seeing how they interface with one another and seeing like the triumphs of what their social dynamic is and then the tragedies of their social dynamic. I see all of it in a way that a parent never could because they're not in that space for that a period of time witnessing the group dynamics of young people. And on top of that, we're trying to educate them. And on top of that, we're trying to help form the next generation of citizens that can take control of the world when we stop taking control of the world when my generation is no longer there when my parents generation is no longer there we're building the future generation and all of that's gone out the window because they think that we're trying to indoctrinate them to believe what we believe and again are there teachers doing that probably there's the tens of thousands hundreds of thousands i don't even know i mean there's like 60 teachers at my school Uh, my school district has, I don't know, seven, eight, 10 schools, something like that. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of kids, hundreds and hundreds of teachers in that pot. Are you going to have a handful of activist teachers? Statistically, it's impossible for there not to be. Um, and should we be demonstrating for those teachers that, Hey, look, this is not the space for you to push political agenda. Yeah, we should be. I think that that's the right choice but what who gets to decide what's political is it political for is it i don't even know it's like we don't have a clear definition of what's political anymore because all of our social dynamics have been politicized there's a um um there's a guy canadian um psychiatrist psychologist i always forget the distinction between the two uh named jordan peterson who has been wrapped up in a lot of um turmoil so if you google him you're going to find some stuff and I just encourage you to listen uh, to what he's saying instead of the, what the media says about him, listen to him, not the stories about him. But, um, you know, he said he, to quote him, he said, the, our religious worldviews have been sublimated into political views. And that's dangerous because people have lost a sense of, um, I'm not a religious person, but they've lost that sense of like religious experience. The, the, the experience of, um, what it means to have deeper meaning in your life. And and again, I'm not a religious person. I'm not pushing a religious doctrine. and It's not my experience. It's not what I look for. It's not what I have. But when we lose a sense of awe and wonder and appreciation, gratitude and grace, the things that are taught in the religious traditions, all of them, to my knowledge, when we lose that, then our political life becomes a substitute for that. And that's not good. That's not good. Because just like you have warring religions throughout history and in the present, if you put so much meaning into your politics that it becomes religiosity, what do you do when someone disagrees with you? If your worldview is so... that you have no space for curiosity, questioning, or wonder. What do you do? What do you do when someone disagrees with you? Bit of a rant today. I needed to talk this through. I don't think it's a good idea for national politics to be so influential in local school boards or do I I don't know if I do I don't know what I think I'm an advocate for people being advocates for their kids for their community but I just see so much um, dishonest dishonesty and manipulation in both political parties you know that um, the largest political voting uh, group is independents something like 44% of Uh, voters in America would consider themselves independent so I would probably consider myself an independent I don't know, do you? let me know curious to know but the problem with being an independent is that you don't have a team and without a team you're vulnerable to the other side And it just so happens that both sides are the other side. And I really love teaching. And I don't want for hyper hyper politicization to get in the way of me teaching. And I also don't want to find myself in a position where I say something that doesn't seem to me to be considered a political thing such as having a pride flag in my room. I don't want that to be seen as a political act that then puts me in a compromised position. And so I don't know what to do about it. But I took the darn flag down. What message does that give to my kids for me to take down the flag? Take down the pride flag, that is. And then also a conversation I had with a friend is that, you know, I went to a yoga festival. I got to wrap this. I was supposed to go climbing and I think I'm not going to be able to do it now. I went to a yoga festival and I have an American flag because I think that the unifying quality, uh, regardless of, um, regardless of anything that it's that we as a country should have a unifying symbol, which is the American flag that stands for again, just to p- pay tribute to the critics the American flag has not always been representative of the ideals of America or the flag always has represented it, but our policy is not always represented. It might be a clearer way to say that. So, you know, you had redlining up until the sixties, maybe seventies. Um, you know, I think Alabama, the football team, I just saw a comedian talk about this. I think it was Alabama. Didn't desegregate their football team until like 71. Um, Obama was anti-same-sex marriage. So, like, yeah. Has the American mission always been attributed uh, f- equally and fully? No, that's what whole the whole March on Washington from Dr. King was. He's like, we're here to cash this check. It was written to us, 1776, and we're here to cash that check. Beautiful message. True message need to be said. But hanging the flag now has become synonymous with having some sort of Um, For a lot of people, not all people, but for some people, they see the American flag as a symbol that uh, should not be uh, representing, representing people. And what that leads to is a further fractionization, fractionization, I've been teaching all day, my brain scrambled, of people into smaller and smaller groups without a unifying quality. And that is bad. So at what point does, does you, I mean, that's that will be a, an argument that people will have. And, again, I'm not equating the pride flag to the American flag. Not the same thing. Not at all. Um, doesn't have the same history. Like, doesn't have the same, like, codified uh, documentation behind it. Unless it does, feel free to tell me. I don't know if the pride flag has a constitution or a bill of rights. But uh, the American flag does. And they're not the same thing. But if the pride flag has become synonymous with liberal policy and pushing that towards students, then at what point are people on the left going to come back and do the same thing and say that the American flag is representative of conservative politics and conservative ideals? And then where does it stop? And how much of this is a distraction from the billionaires who have continued to destroy, destroy the planet and disenfranchise voting capacity through lobbying? There's more lobbyists that work for Facebook than there are senators. Facebook has more lobbyists than we have senators. 300 million people in this country. Facebook has more lobbyists Pushing around the government to the best of their ability then we have senators that represent us if we keep fighting these battles these small not small, they're big these are big things teachers should not be indoctrinating students students that are underrepresented by the general population should have a voice there are things in progressive policy that needs to happen. There are things in conservative policy that need to hold sway. This is the American dialogue. It's the battle between left and right. And the battle is a battle of words, ideas, conversation, give and take. The founders established the whole country with that idea that we have to like talk our way through this. Uh, we need each other. The progressives need the conservatives. The conservatives need the pro- progressives. We we need each other. Otherwise, we're just thinking the same thing. And the conservatives have something to say. The liberals have something to say. And we have to create situations where we can hear each other instead of continuing to silo ourselves through our phones that are designed by corporations who benefit by us staying in our phones, continuing to communicate with people who agree with us and letting us yell at people who disagree with us in an anonymous fashion that dehumanizes them and hurts us. Peter Singer, the guy who wrote Animal Liberation, says that the problems of animal agriculture, it seems like a hard segue, it's not. The problems of animal agriculture, or yes, bad for the animals, but the real, not the real, but a real big problem with animal agriculture is that a human being has to be able to be in a situation where they're willing to slaughter lots and lots of sentient beings. And the thing that that does to your psyche, it changes you, turns you into something different, turns you into something that you weren't before. And the outrage that we've been allowed to do on the internet through not being able to see someone's face when we say something mean or to disagree and attack ad hominem at other people that does something does to too so we're siloing ourselves so we can hear what we like and we're arguing hurting the person on the other side and hurting ourselves there it is guys Let me know what you think. Everything is at Aaron Wayne Yoga. If I keep being political on this podcast, I'm going to have to change the yoga out of this. This is not a yoga podcast. See you on the next one, guys. Peace. Recording outro for this podcast in my new office space happens to have a dryer about 10 feet away my wife's doing laundry you hear that that's the dryer whatever recording it anyway gotta get these jokers running new podcasts are posted on mondays and thursdays mondays are going to be the guest days thursdays are the solo days follow along at Aaron Wayne yoga shoot me an email hello at follow along on instagram 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 you know what i'm talking about see you guys in the next one peace